Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. Each week, we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So yesterday, well, today is my anniversary, but we observed it yesterday. And we observed it by going to Hamilton, which I know... I saw these pictures, and I didn't realize you had never seen it before. Yeah. You'd heard the music, though, right? But, I mean, not that much. So I would deliberately <sighs> – so so I need to back up – I need to back up a sec and explain that I am I have been into musicals since my child. My parents were both in the theater. We used to go to the theater a ton when I was a little kid. We'd go wait online at TKTS to get, like, discounted same-day tickets. I saw all kinds of things regardless of, like, how age-appropriate they were. I've been here for all the kind of big black bu- blockbuster musicals like, you know, The Producers and Book of Mormon and, you know, everything that people have been going bananas about for, how you know, back to Evita and Dreamgirls. Like, I've been here the whole time, right? And so I had this thought, even though I knew I would like it because why would I not like it? I like hip hop. I like musicals. I mean, what's not to like? I um I still had this thought, like, is – is it really truly going to be all that? Because like oh, I have Margie. not seen anybody say anything. Cri- is that impo- like how is that possible? Like maybe this is like I mean there was a time oh, when everybody gosh. loved cats. Like maybe this just you know this no. is not the thing. Hamilton <laughs> is not cats. I didn't think it was cats. I didn't think it was cats. But I had a thought like you know. Maybe maybe this you know is it possible that everybody's like I spent you know, a lot of money on this ticket and damn it, it was great. So I I just had a moment like maybe I shouldn't get too excited because then I'll be disappointed. And and my husband hates musicals, I should also add to this. So I'm like, we're going and we had great seats and it was so good. I was just like, I still had TV makeup on because we went, we did TV yesterday, Kristen, and I was like feeling all like I'm (laughs) dressed and ready to go. Like I have my hair done and I have my TV makeup and it's, but it's faded a little bit so I don't look weird. And then I'm and then I'm like, oh God, I'm like, I'm like sobbing, <laughs> like like eight hour old TV makeup. Like, Amina's handiwork is now streaking down your face. <laughs> like, this is not going well. And I could not like. And also, I felt like when the king. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. When the king is like, oh, good luck, guys. Now you're on your own. You know, see how that's going to work out for you. I felt like the whole audience was like, yeah, it's going badly. Okay, like I'm president is insane, and we have just surrendered and basically. Basically surrendered to Russia, and now Hamilton's cutting a little close to the bone. And um, so I, that was the vibe I was picking up, like the vibrations from the rest of the audience. But um, it was so I just couldn't get over what a piece of art it was. Like it just made me joyful for humanity that existed. Like it, like it was truly like a life changing thing. Oh, one hundred percent. I I remembered hearing about it. Sometime in 2015, I think. And it was at like a Christmas party in 2015 that a buddy of mine was like, you have to go do this. And 
don't listen to any of the music before you do. Right. And so I was like, okay. And then, like, so we bought tickets in December for the next July. Like, that's how far out it had to be. And we were like, all right, well, in July, we'll go see this. And then I had one friend that said, like, no, listen to the music once because a lot of it's it's a lot of words flying at you really fast. Like, even if you know history, like, you might feel a little lost at the beginning. So, like, give everything a listen once so that when you're watching it, you're not trying to figure out what did they just say. Like, you kind of – and that was really good advice. But even so, I mean, when you see it live, it's just – I tried it's to so good. <laughs> I tried to not he, to not study it too much, mm-hmm. which is hard because obviously Hamilton well, now kind you of have to washes to constantly. Now I have to listen to it constantly. So <laughs> I, I, I knew enough about to like feel like I had some awareness, but not so much where I was like, "This is my favorite part," you know, and, and nothing at all like that. And I just was blown like the staging and the fact that the set. Like there's not a whole lot of set hijinks. It's really about the energy of going from song to song to song. And there's and no dialogue. It's yeah, just no dialogue. Song to song I mean, it's it's uh, it was just I could not get over how wonderful it was. And the casting. I mean, every, it was just incredible. Like it was believe the hype, everybody. If you've not seen it, and it's obviously in Washington. I don't know. I don't know how long it's in Washington compared to other cities. I'm assuming like you know people. This is like ground zero for touring companies, but um, it's uh. It was really fantastic. Well, I am thrilled that you have seen it. I, I have to ask, what is your favorite non-Hamilton musical? We'll just take Hamilton out of the out yeah. of equation for now. Um, that's a good question. So I guess it depends on – it depends a little bit if it's like kind of a recent – is it like my childhood memory of musicals or like a recent thing? Like I, I, I did quite enjoy – Book of Mormon, even if it had, even if it had the like the cr- the cringe factor of a um, Trey Parker, Matt yeah, Stone. we're like, how did they go from like South Park? <laughs> is this really a humorous musical this about is, children with AIDS? Right, because, this is like uh, what? <laughs> it's like a South Park sensibility transformed to like a musical that has musical like styling, like good musical coherence, which is interesting. Um, you know, the producers was fine. I was not kind of like, oh my god, blown away by it. Um, you know, as a child, I loved, you know, West Side Story and My Fair Lady. Those were my, like, go-to, you know, the ones mm-hmm. that really got me. I don't know if all the gender dynamics have, you know, aged well from the 60s for those, but they were, like, my – they were my favorites as a as a child. I am I am a guys and dolls hard partisan. Uh, yeah, guys and dolls is yep. good. Yep. I think guys that – is good. I will say, I think Cats is the first musical I actually saw <laughs> – like, so I had the Cats soundtrack yeah, growing no, up. Cats was... And now I'm like, how is this a thing? Like, now <laughs> that I'm older and I'm really thinking about it, like, wait a minute. But I have also always used a Cats analogy to try to describe what it feels like to be a Republican pollster having watched the rise of <laughs> Kellyanne Conway. Like, she is the one that has risen up to the heavy side later <laughs> at the end of the musical. Like, they pick what? the one cat who gets to rise. Right. Up. It's like in um, Six Degrees of Separation, which was a fantastic play, which I did see on Broadway, not just the movie. And they said, you know, like, and they were like, dis, you know, dissing cats, which was like a very New York thing to do to kind of diss people who saw cats out, you know, out outside of New York, but people in New York saw cats. Anyway, so uh, – and she's like that show where they just decide who gets to go to kitty cat heaven. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that as like my standout line from from uh, Six Degrees of Separation. But anyway, I do um, – I'm a big, big theater fan, so 
Go see Hamilton. It's definitely worth it for sure. If you've there, not gotten the memo, it's definitely worth it. So there was some polling this week, although I'm totally fine just spending this episode talking about <laughs> Hamilton, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so this week's top lines, uh, back in the USSR, tons of polling that will make you feel like we're back in the Cold War again. Boatloads of polling on what's going on in the world, NATO, Russia, and more. Plus, 2018 midterms. We'll talk overall environment, who's going to vote, and what will drive them. Then Kavanaugh's nomination. We'll talk about the polling that has emerged around that. And last but not least, keep cool this summer with some polling on ice cream. All right. So first, our poll of the week. Well, it's really more like our census analysis of the week. totally counts as polling. Yeah, I think it counts as polling. And this was – and we're not – sometimes we get a little in the weeds in the poll of the week. This is not going to be one of those times. So we're going to go right into a massive amount of international NATO stuff. But – there was something we saw. Spouses report earnings differently when the wives earn more. So there's been, you know, I think Pew did something on breadwinner moms and breadwinner wives and changing dynamics and, you know, how uh, family finances work. And uh, this, I think, shows what is interesting about when people self-report their income. And it's hard to even ask income, honestly. I mean, I, I take it out of a lot of surveys. The the refuse to respond is high. I, I appreciate that people don't want to respond to that. You can get a lot of the information that you would use income for from other kinds of socioeconomic indicators like education and so on. And this, is, I think, adds another layer to it. When wives earn more than their husbands do, husbands say they earn more than they are and wives understand to report their income. I am in some ways, and I, this is not, no offense to the gentlemen out there, I'm not surprised that the guys would inflate their number a little bit. I am surprised the wives would yeah. under-report. Yeah. Ladies, if you earned it, flaunt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, or or don't because that's the, you know, but it's not classy to flaunt it, but in responding to a survey... <laughs> Please right. be accurate. Right. We're not talking about at lunch here, you know, like we are or on Facebook, right? We are talking about in a survey. And this is not an insignificant population. It's a quarter of the folks in this sample that they looked at the, the in these couples, a quarter of couples, um, live in a quote-unquote non-traditional marriage where the wife earns more than the husband. I mean, we don't know what the gap is here. Oh, the gap is up 1.5%. Points lower for wives who make more than their husbands. That's the oh, gap in what they're reporting. We don't know like what's actual gap in their income. Is the gap in the income between husbands and wives like five percent of their income or like twenty five percent of their income? Yeah, very interesting. Anyway, it may be in this big study somewhere. And we just a reminder that sometimes when people report things to pollsters, it's not a hundred percent accurate. Right, self report. Yes. <laughs> Not Never always perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about what's going on around the world. Let's start with the UK. Yeah. So last week you like gave a shout out to the ether like, hey, we should talk. You know, there must be polling in the UK of how. Thanks, YouGov. You have folks. delivered. <laughs> how it folks appears in the UK you were coming it. out of the field like as I was uttering that phrase on yeah. our show. Yeah. So here and it shows, lo and behold – uh, folks in the UK are unfavorable with an extra U in there toward Trump. 73% unfavorable, 16% favorable. Ouch. Those numbers are like, I mean, they're not as bad as Democrats only here in the states, but they are like closer to Democrats in the states than they are to like the broader population in the states. And I heard that the 
uh, the protests in in London. Two hundred fifty thousand people protested Trump's visit. That's the biggest uh, protest of a foreign leader in London's history. Well, it, you know, giving an interview, whatever. I'm not, I'm gonna ab- <laughs> avoid rank punditry as much as possible, and just say that. Like here, it's not even as though like among conservatives, among those who said they voted for the conservative party in 2017, Trump's favorable was only at 2866. There's bipartisan agreement yeah, in the UK not, that they don't like Trump. Um, when it came to Brexit, among those who voted leave, his fave unfave is 3062. Um, there's no like region of the UK that has any particular strong affinity for him. I mean, it's just, I have a question um, that you may have the answer to. What is social grade? They have social grade, A, B, C, 1, or C, 2, D, E. Is this like a socioeconomic, is this like a way that UK pollsters code socioeconomic status? Uh, I feel like because it sounds kind of black. No. <laughs> so, I know getting your, taking you're, your A. You're your married a. to a Brit. You yeah, must but have you all know, the he's not like, hun. In case it ever comes up, I feel like I need to explain so, to you how cross steps work <laughs> <laughs> in the UK. Because when I see Just social grade, I'm, not I'm thinking of that Black Mirror thing where like everybody gets a grade, oh like God, a that social really credit. Freaked me where people are like rating each other on like their little. Is that the Bryce Dallas Howard one? Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know where where like the cab driver thinks she's talking too much and gives her like a low score and then she gets in a fight at the airport. Yeah, no, that one cut that one cut Although a little Although the same thing, the... if I could award demerits for bad driving. <laughs> oh, I think you can. All right, yeah, but oh, if you're a passenger. Anyway, I, I mean, I, people take their A-levels that say, I think it's like kind of comparable to like AP Oh, in Harry classes. Potter, they're called the owls. <laughs> this All is right. how I know we, we, we are We are not informed enough so to answer this. so far off the rails and we're so, one Poland. <laughs> yeah. So, and meanwhile, Trump's numbers are as basically as bad as Putin's in the UK. Meanwhile, Angela Merkel is mixed reviews, 41 favorable, 39 unfavorable. Emmanuel Macron, same thing, 30 percent favorable, 32 percent unfavorable. Your boy Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> 40, 40 favorable, well, 20 unfavorable. Is, he is handsome. Um, so um, <laughs> so I I wonder, you know, I don't know if there's a, I mean, obviously these numbers for Trump are terrible, right? But I don't, I wonder if there's a response set. I don't know the answer to this question either. Maybe we should move on to things where I do have something intelligence to say. But I wonder if there's a English response set where there's sort of this like UK sensibility like, yeah, they're a jerk, right? Like it's a sort of, you know, enjoying kind of, taking the piss out of somebody. Do these numbers reflect that kind of nationwide sensibility? I don't know. Well, uh, Les, I, I can't let this <laughs> podcast go without talking for like half a second about the World Cup. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry, England, that football did not come home. Um, but you guys have a very exciting team and I'm excited to watch you in 2022. And with that, I will not talk about the World Cup for four more years. Uh, you know, that Croatian, the woman that who, oh, the president of Croatia. She was le- like those hugs. She gave these like incredible, like motherly hugs to everybody on the team. Oh my my gosh. children and all their friends were over, and they were just mesmerized by her. She was elected president of Croatia at forty six, and when the reins opened up, yeah, 
Vladimir Putin had a, a minion holding an umbrella over his precious little head. Well, she is in white pants <laughs> and DGAF. I know. I know. That is, I don't know anything about wow. politics, but I, that was a heck of an image. So she's technically an independent but because you have to be an independent when you are the president of the country. Like they have a rule that you have to leave your political party when you become the president. But prior to that, she had been in their like center right party, whichever party is affiliated with the EPP, which is like the EU's center-right coalition, which, of course, being conservative in Croatia does not necessarily mean the same thing as being a conservative in the U.S., but that was – I did some digging on her because I was super curious. Who is the lady giving the amazing hugs yeah. in the white pants in the rain who DGAF? Right. I mean, no, it was it was a heck of a moment. It was a heck of a moment. Um, and then one last thing about uh, folks in England, how they feel about Trump. Do they feel he's sexist or racist? Yes and Yes. 74% say he's sexist, 63% say he's racist, only 38% say he's a strong leader, 16% say he's honest. That's a lot different. I haven't seen an honest number recently. I think Quinnipiac tracks it here. Um, but the honest numbers here for Trump have always been like a little bit better than some of his other numbers because he's like – says like like the lie, honest and trustworthy. I think 16, wasn't his honest and trustworthy numbers as good – as Clinton's, uh, yes, maybe? but Am that I, I don't. That? I think that's correct, but I also don't think that that's a high bar. I don't think yeah. either of them set a very high bar for each other in terms of polling on that metric. Right? Yeah, you're right because he's got that like, is does he tell lies? And it's like always bad. The numbers are bad. Um, so my column that I filed today because I almost never file my column late, and I woke up this morning and I was like, it's Tuesday. No, it's not. It's definitely Wednesday. Oh, that's bad. So sorry, Tim Carney, if you're listening. I apologize. Uh, and now I've I have prostrated myself publicly. Uh, my column true confessions today. True, con- true confessions. Kristen filed late, and she yeah. almost never does. That's um, a heck of an oppo file. <laughs> Once she put was this late. right behind my baseball stuff, which we have. To, was that last week? I've lost all track of <laughs> yeah. time. Okay, well, we'll <laughs> when we talk about Kavanaugh, because your we'll oppo file is like so, is so boring. <laughs> People are going to fall asleep. The first musical she ever saw was Cats. (laughs) Like age seven. Good lord. Added to the list. (laughs) Has she done anything damaging at all? (laughs) That is the team, cut to team trying to run an IE against Kristen. I'm like, good lord. (laughs) Um, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, my column is all about how, like, on a ton of these different characteristics questions, people are always like, oh, is Trump reckless? Yes. Does Trump have bad judgment? Yes. Is Trump insert bad thing here yes except strength right usually people say he's strong and so my column was about how if his numbers take a hit at all it would be because what went massively awry in helsinki was that he was weak in front of a foreign adversary and like you can be a lot of bad things but you can't be weak if you're donald trump that's like the one brand attribute you got to hold on to i still don't think this is going to move numbers much at all. And he's already done the kind of weirdo walk back. But nonetheless, that is yeah, that no. is why I think – that's why I think he had to walk it back instead of just like doubling down and being like, whatever, fake news, move on. Like I think he was able to get told you have to fix this because it went after that core brand attribute. Yeah. I mean because it, it, the other piece of this that sometimes people say when they look at Trump and they worry about him, particularly on the world stage, is that he's reckless. He'll just tweet some insults at a world leader. Like he just, you know, runs his mouth, which is 
Well, not the same as the strong slash bullying, which is, you know, the the other way to describe that. Like someone who's such a bully, surely they must be strong. This recklessness is that an asset because it like intimidates people and puts, you know, throws people off their game a little bit, gives them some competitive advantage. Or is the recklessness like going to put the whole world in, in harm's way? And can you describe – but it's something that people believe about him and as a, as a negative. Even people who you know are otherwise favorable toward him may also think he's reckless at the same time. Like people who – Republicans just say, I wish he wouldn't tweet the way he does. Like they're talking about that. Um, can you call the Helsinki escapade reckless? doesn't have that same tone because it is more – Weak. How do weak and reckless stand up? Because it is also reckless, right? It is also reckless to have a two-hour meeting without any staff, right? Like there's all kinds of things that were reckless about it. Um, but does it reinforce that dimension, or is it really about like it throws people off who think of him as strong? Well, see, and I think if if the argument against him is, look, he did this reckless thing, I actually don't think that moves his numbers at all because I think reckless is priced into all of his numbers already. Um, and that there are enough people out there who think that – who are his supporters who think that reckless is a good thing, is the reason is th- that they voted for him, is a feature, not a bug. Right. Whereas like I don't think there's anybody that's like, yes, a weak leader is exactly what we need <laughs> right. to fix America. And so I think that's right. why more than the like he's reckless and crazy attack, the he's weak and apologized for America against uh, – it- on foreign soil is – that's the that's the killer, right? I mean, it, it, you know, and by extension of that too is you know, there's always this. Oh, this is what we were talking about a little bit yesterday. Like people say, oh, well, his base loves that. His base loves it when he says something wild and crazy because he's just shaking things up and telling it like it is and showing people, you know, that he's the boss or whatever. Like nobody asked for this. Like nobody asked for him to do anything with Putin, any of this stuff with Putin. Like, who is clamoring for this? Literally nobody. Just him. I mean, that is why it's him alone in that meeting. That's why he can't really find a lot of people. I mean, the people who are on the right trying to defend him are not actually defending him as saying the right thing that's that's in America's interest. They're just saying, look, other people have said something similar, or maybe he shouldn't have said it that way, where if the left hadn't said this, then he wouldn't have felt... He had to say that. Like nobody is saying what he said was the right thing and, you know, that's a good thing for America. I haven't heard anybody say that yeah. other than well, maybe his like core people whose job it is to say that about him. I mean even he's not saying that. You know? Sure. Well, so he, he did an interview that aired last night on Tucker Carlson's show um, where they were talking about, among other things, like uh, – to what extent should America stay engaged in NATO? And in this interview, Tucker Carlson poses a question like, you know, should I send my son to die to defend Montenegro? And Trump responds like, that's exactly what I've been asking. You know, the people of Montenegro, they they can be an aggressive people. And I'm like, what? Really? Like, oh, okay. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That would be reckless. That's what we call reckless, where you're just sort of popping off and, you know, clearly have no idea what you're When I think about. of Montenegro, I think of a high-stakes poker game in Montenegro, which is the setting of Casino Royale starring Daniel Craig. That is the first thing that comes to my mind about Montenegro, <laughs> not that they're like an aggressive country ready to like warmonger all over, you know, go 
pick a fight with Putin. Like, I don't really think that's going to happen. The reason I bring up Montenegro is there is some polling here, and this looks like it's from the Gallup World Poll, asking people do they approve or disapprove of the U.S.'s leadership across NATO. Now, this is not from 2018, but it does compare and contrast 2016 and 2017. 2016, of course, still during Obama's presidency, 2017 under new management. Um, Some countries really had big shifts in their views of U.S.'s NATO leadership um, between 16 and 17. Portugal falling from 63% approved to 12% approved. Belgium falling from 64 to 20. A whole bunch of countries falling double digits. Montenegro, one of only three countries who actually improved in their view of the United States' NATO leadership from 18% to 25%. However, I believe Montenegro is a relatively new NATO addition. So it's I don't know if that 18% in 2016 also contained a lot of don't know, refused, because they were like the new kids in the club. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but anyhow, I, when I saw that, I, I thought that was amusing that like Trump is going after Montenegro, but they're one of the three countries in NATO that actually seems more positive about U.S. leadership Hmm. since he took office. Well, maybe I don't know if Trump follows the polls closely enough to have caught that. but We'll see. But um, and then Pew has done some polling. This is still from last year, but, uh, you know, of how folks in the United States feel about NATO and they broke it out by party. And it was incredible. And I think we talked about this last year when it came out that there's been incredible stability um, in views toward NATO and not that much of a party difference. I mean, some, but not the kind of wild divergent views by party that you see on some other things until, of course, last year where now Democrats overwhelmingly favorable toward uh, NATO at 78 percent, while Republicans have maybe slipped a little bit, but kind of on par with, with where they've been before. Well, so YouGov, economist YouGov has asked this as of last week. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't have a trend line from Pew, um, we do have a trend line now, or we can kind of tack this data point onto that trend line with a caveat, which is to say, according to Pew, the last time they asked this question, spring of 2017, it looks like, um, 47% of Republicans had a favorable view of NATO. In this Economist YouGov poll, it falls to 37%. So the gap has potentially widened even further in the last year. I mean, this is, you know, this other point that we're not going to solve today, but it's just worth reminding is that when everybody talks about these things like Trump's base loves it, they want him to do it, they cheer when he does, you know, when he, you know, insults our, you know, NATO allies. Um, Or is he actually creating that? I mean, are there people at home in Trump's base? Are are there a lot of voters in a period in America who are like sitting at home thinking about like rooting for Trump to do one thing or another when he meets with other folks from NATO? I don't think there are a lot of people who feel that way. That's just, you know, I just think people have other priorities in terms of the things that they think about. And so when you see now that Republicans have this very partisan view against NATO and Democrats now feeling more favorable toward NATO, is that really is that a result that's driven by Trump? Trump's not driven by the base here. He's driving the base. He's creating this wedge where one didn't really seem to exist before. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. 
It's professional level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. So then in addition to the the NATO topic, there is just the topic of Russia. Um, Do you believe that Russia is an ally or an enemy of the United States? Uh, There's some polling that's been done by NBC News and SurveyMonkey that has been tracking this since the beginning of the Trump presidency. And views about Russia's uh, friendship with the U.S. have gotten more pessimistic uh, over the first year of Trump's presidency but have sort of held stable at 68 percent of Americans say that Russia is unfriendly or an enemy. Only 28 percent say they are a friend. And when you ask who poses the greatest immediate threat to the United States – Uh, North Korea, ISIS, Russia, China, or Iran. Um, Democrats far and away say Russia, 47 percent. Second to that is North Korea at 25 percent. For Republicans, only 16 percent say North Korea, only 10 percent say Russia. Instead, their concerns are much more around ISIS, Iran, and China. ISIS getting the plurality at 31 percent. Right. And, you know, there's frequently this poll. I mean, people have been tracking I don't mean tracking like a trend line, but tracking like this is frequently gets news, which is how do Republicans feel about Russia, right? Has that changed now where you have more Republicans who are favorable toward Putin than, you know, we would have seen two or three years ago before all this stuff went, you know, pear-shaped? And I think we saw something – it's not in here, but it was – I think it came out. Maybe it is in one of these bullets that like a quarter of Republicans are favorable toward Putin. You know, we've seen polls that had it higher. I think it's settled – gone down a little bit. But it's still higher than it was a couple years ago. That was the one thing I saw this week that like a couple years ago, Republicans – like 10 percent of Republicans were favorable toward Putin. And now it's 25 to 30 percent. Yeah, these are the numbers that that make me like – Where's the hemlock? Like I can't. This is I. This is this is not my party. All of, because I'm I because I came up with the in this like yeah Margaret Thatcher woo woo cold warrior type can like woo Reagan yeah vibe, which is not the same as a woo Putin vibe. <laughs> no, it is not. No, I mean that's that's disturbing. <sighs> that is really. I mean that is really that is. I mean, that's. I will say, even though when when you look at the crosstabs of, do you think Donald Trump's relationship with Vladimir Putin is mostly a good thing or a bad thing for the United States? Sixty-four percent of Republicans say good thing. Seven percent say bad thing. Twenty-nine percent say not sure. There's a way to look at that glass half full, glass half empty. Like I actually think sixty. You know, Donald Trump's job approval rating among Republicans is like ninety percent. So when you're talking something that's pretty far below ninety percent. That's interesting. That's interesting that there seems to be a sizable subset of the GOP that's like, I like Trump. I'm not anti-Trump, but I'm not sure I'm crazy about this. It's not a majority. They also say, do you approve or disapprove of the way Donald Trump is handling Russia? And here, the overall approval among Republicans is at 72 percent, but it's pretty soft. Only 30 percent, which you can find 30 percent of Republicans strongly approve of almost anything Donald Trump does. Like that's the he shot someone on Fifth Avenue crew. But then you've got 42 percent of Republicans that are in somewhat approve. And then straight up, you've got 17 percent that are like, I don't know. And another 12 percent that are like, this is bad. High 12 (laughs) percent. 
Yeah, no, it's it's bad. I mean, it is it is it is a terrible thing. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you have a lot of people talking about how this has changed. This is a new thing. It's going to change how Republicans on the Hill are talking about them, kind of like Charlottesville. But then, you know, Trump made some kind of goofy walk back, which some Republicans, I heard Rubio saying it today, trying to say, well, I'm glad he clarified, like they're getting in line. It's it's insane. I mean, I feel it's just so it's so upsetting to watch. I mean, there's no there's no reason for it. I mean, like there's the only reasons for it. No, there is a reason for it. And all the reasons for it are bad. There's no good strategic reason for the way he behaved in Helsinki. I mean, there just isn't. Um, And his favor, his approval rating currently is, you know, depends on which aggregator you look at, whether it's 43 percent or 42 percent. We'll see if that changes now as this gets integrated into our conversation. Um, How does his walk back change anything, if at all? What do, you know, Republicans who are trying to, you know, stay above the fray, but now they're being asked to, you know, to comment on this? What do they say? How do they talk about it? I mean, the the challenge for a lot of Republicans, we're going to talk, we're going to segue now into the generic and what's going on with the midterms is, you know, you have Republicans who they can't be there. They don't sound authentic. You can't, you know, everyone talks about authenticity. How can you sound authentic as a Republican about Donald Trump and not be fully full on critical? Even the fully full on critical folks, who most of whom are retiring, still are voting with him. And so they find themselves kind of in this like inauthentic space where they are criticizing him, but yet they're supporting his policies and they're not, you know, sort of doing much other than saying that they're critical of him. Or you have folks who are like, I'm all in or I'm all in, but I'm going to have some reservations and some doubts, but I'm still basically in the Trump camp. And wherever you are for that, you know, for most of those folks, aside from the real super like Marsha Blackburn, like ride or die folks, they sound inauthentic. And that's something that I think a lot of voters are going to respond to. Well, there was an interesting. So last night, I the reason why I am so deeply familiar with the Tucker Carlson Montenegro interview is I was at Fox last night because I went on Fox Business on Kennedy, which is the show that airs the same time as Tucker. Um, I really like Kennedy as a host. I like going on that show. Um, she's kind of got a like a libertarian bent. She's independent. Um, and she she was like criticizing Trump a lot in the opening segment of the show. And she had on Congressman Ron DeSantis from my home state of Florida, who upon receiving the endorsement of Trump has like shot up in the polls in the primary there against uh, for the the Republican primary for governor against um, Ag Commissioner Adam Putnam, who had for a long time been viewed as like he's gonna he's the next in line kind of guy, the um, only Republican candidate for governor who has tweeted about Tacoma Park, I believe. Oh yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> anyway, we have a whole that's how we get it all bring we it all together. Can have a whole conversation with that point. Um, but the you know DeSantis criticized Trump over the Russia stuff. Which was interesting. Um, And so he was asked about it on the show, like, you are super – you're pretty darn close to ride or die for Trump, but you came out and criticized him. What's the deal? And he he said what you said, which is like, oh, I'm glad he walked it back. Um, But – and he got asked, like, well, you know, why why don't you criticize Trump more often? Like when you just – you know, or do you just agree with him on everything? And he's – and his response was this like – you know, when I disagree with Trump, I don't think it's productive to air it publicly because enough other people are attacking him for everything he does. 
I think it's more productive for me to contact him privately and tell him hmm. that I think something is wrong. And as as much as that sounds like a total politician's answer, right? Because on the one hand, people got no problem criticizing each other publicly in politics. Like, right. let's knock off this baloney that like, I'm just trying to be a nice and classy person. Right. Like, come on. But, but it is 100% true that if you become a Jeff Flake, a Bob Corker, a, like someone who is very – like, I am not afraid to say that I think Donald Trump has screwed this up. Like, Jeff Flake and Bob Corker aren't getting invited to the White House to talk about trade right. or anything. Right. So if like, is, is it OK to strategically decide, look, if I put out another press release saying I think this Russia thing was stupid, I'm like the 150th press release coming out of the House of Representatives. Great. It's not going to change anything, and it's going to mean I have less sway with the president. Like I do think these are the calculations that go on in people's heads. Uh, I don't doubt that that's the calculation that goes on in people's heads. I don't doubt that that's you know what folks who work in the White House think, and you know, and and there's a there's some point where you think, well, maybe it's good to have folks in there who think that, as opposed to you know, if they're taking the place of somebody who's like. Yeah, I'm with you. Everything you say is great. And I believe I'm saying it and I believe it. You know, <laughs> like it's probably better to have him surrounded by people who are like, I- I'm just here to help prevent something true, you know, even worse from happening. I, I guess, right? I guess, you know, th- those none of those choices are available to me or, or you know, things that w- will, will be choices for me. So I can understand how, you know, someone else might might feel differently about it. Um, I mean, the flip side is like you're in public service. The president is putting like the world security and the American, you know, America's core democratic principles at, uh, and values, you know, under threat on a daily basis. And to, you know, say like, well, I'm just, you know, I don't really feel like talking about that so much. It to me seems like not a very, you know, it's not profile and courage for folks who are trying to be elected leaders. But I, uh, I know everybody has comes from a different perspective. So, uh, what does this mean for the midterms? I guess. We don't know. Yet. Well, as of right now, the president's job approval is sitting uh, in the Real Clear Politics average, about forty-three percent. In the, I think is that HuffPost pollster? Is that what that that pretty looking graphic? is? No, that's five thirty-eight. Five thirty-eight. I, I don't think we have HuffPost in here. So RCP has it plus eight for D's, and five thirty-eight has it like almost plus ten. Yeah. Um, oh no. The well, that's uh, the the president's job approval is uh, right now, uh, according to five thirty eight, is forty two percent approve. Uh, so oh, yeah, I was moving to the. Oh, you're all the way at generic ballot. Oh, yes. sorry, I haven't scrolled down that far. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> we don't have to edit this out. I'm I'm happy with the world knowing that I'm just dumb and looking at the wrong page. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you were talking about. I just moved on, so I. No, you you did the right thing. I'm just I'm like, ooh, this chart. It's it's orange and green. Why is it University of Miami colors? That's weird. I need to have a conversation with some people at five thirty eight. Um, <laughs> Okay. Contrasting colors. There's a really interesting metric here. And this – it looks like this comes from CNN. Is this a Harry yes. Enten joint? Yes. Um, so to w- we know polls are used as an indicator of what's going to happen in an election. But what about polls as like a, like a meta indicator? Like not the result of the poll itself, but can you actually use data about who is releasing polls – to predict how an election might go. So what he's done is he has plotted out what percentage of polls from partisan organizations were released from left versus right-wing groups and then looked at what percentage of seats were picked up 
you know, how many seats are picked up by Democrats versus Republicans. And he found that in, say, 2010, that was a year where only about a third of all polls that were released by a partisan group came from the left. And of course, in that year, Republicans had the big Tea Party wave. They crushed it. Meanwhile, 2006, a year where Democrats did quite well. Nancy Pelosi became speaker and all that. That was a year that about 75 percent of horse race polls came from the left. So where are we now? What does this look like? There are two bullets here. I'm not sure if maybe one's more recent than the other, but they are both higher. There's one tweet from Harry that shows 86 percent are coming from. Yeah, it's off the chart from that. And this other one where I don't know where this says it's 93 percent. So let's Let's just be conservative and say the 86% number is correct. That is literally, yeah, it's literally off the chart. It's You'd have to change the access. To- yeah, and the reason why this, this is an interesting indicator is, as we've talked about on the show before, you have to be careful as a consumer of polling released by a partisan group, not because it's wrong, but because that data tends to get released when the side that releases it feels good and feels like they're winning and feels like they want the world to see that fact. And so it makes total sense that when Republicans are doing well, Republicans are pushing data out into the world saying, look how well we're doing and vice versa. Um, But actually tracking that quantitatively as a measure of what's going on is like a cool kind of way to do this like meta analysis. Like what is probably happening with the internal polls that we aren't seeing based on the imbalance in what we are seeing. Right, right. I mean, the thing, you know, that folks often think of when they're trying to decide whether or not to release, which is this better than the conventional wisdom in some way? Does it change the conventional wisdom to release something that is worse than the conventional wisdom? Obviously, you wouldn't do that. Or if it's the same, you're like, well, maybe it's just not worth a back and forth about it, you know, if it's just confirming what we think people think. And some people will say it's better. Some people say it's worse. But if you have something that may surprise, like, hey, maybe you didn't know this race, too, is in play, or this race is closer than you think, or this race where, you know, so-and-so is already ahead, or it's already a tie, or whatever, that's when you would release a poll that, you know, you might not otherwise release, because you're not obligated to release. It's not, you know, it's not... We don't need to publicly disclose the results of every poll that we do um, as an industry. So uh, so people choose to release if they feel like they're going to get some kind of added mileage out of it. Yeah. Can you attach it to some fundraising email that's like five times match, donate now, or right. these six kittens will never see sunshine again. <laughs> also, we're down by 15. And if you don't donate now, America ends. Right. XOXO, the DCCC. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Margie just frowned. <laughs> it was a meme. DCCC apocalyptic a fundraising no, emails a was a meme. You didn't say it. I know you do stuff with all that. This is me. This is me being the mean old Republican. Yeah. I'm just saying it was a meme. It was a thing. Yes. I'm not making this up. No, no. You're right. It was a meme. It was a meme. So what is behind – okay. So what can people talk about? Are, are, are you know, what's driving some of these numbers? What might drive some of this midterm conversation? We talked a little bit about – Trump and foreign policy. I think that I'm not sure yet if that's a driver and how people are going to be voting in the midterms. It may be. It may not be. I think that's going to change and, you know, it may change a little bit after this week. Um, We just released my firm. Uh, released some polling this week on corruption, which is not dissimilar from some of the stuff that we released uh, 
and from Navigator on corruption a couple of months ago. And it showed that there was – but this poll was done in Republican-held battleground districts. So it's been congressional districts currently that are you know part of the battleground that are Republican-held. Um, and corruption was – and this is for Center for American Progress – Corruption was something that people found pretty serious and not necessarily corruption as a word, although that too, where people felt that Republicans were more corrupt than Democrats. But also, how do you talk about corruption? Like what kinds of examples of corruption are worrisome to folks, are things that people found, you know, that they had a serious concern or very serious concern when they thought about it. And the the key with all of this, it, whether you're talking about corruption or anything else really, but it's especially with these things that are not necessarily – visible in people's day-to-day immediate experience is explaining why this matters. It's not simply corruption, full stop. It's, you know, here's somebody who spent taxpayer dollars to do X. Here's a benefit that a company got at the expense of something that you might need. So tying those things together are really important. And with independence, a lot of these messages can really resonate more. I mean, independents have decided that they self-identify as independents and not as one political party. So it makes sense that these messages would and, you know, items, examples of corruption would resonate more with them. So some of the top testing ones. So if Scott Pruitt, I mean, this was done, a, you know, a couple weeks ago. So Scott Pruitt um, spent a more than $100,000 in taxpayer uh, money. Republicans taking millions of dollars from drug companies, then voting with the drug uh, industry on uh, prescription drug prices. That's another one. Uh, Republicans taking health care away from folks on the bill that they passed while protecting their own health insurance. So it's not necessarily like these, there are lots of ways to define and explain what corruption is and special interest influence and so on. And so m- making sure to connect the dots is important. So there's one other poll that we've got in this section that I think is interesting and that I want to bring up, which is um, some polling by our buddies at PRRI. This is the PRRI Atlantic 2018 Voter Engagement Survey. Um, They've got a lot of really interesting data about what voters think about, A, the act of voting, and B, uh, things, things like corruption, who has influence in the system. Um, in this poll, one of the questions they say is, you know, which of the following do you believe are major problems in our current election system? Um, Wealthy individuals and corporations having too much influence. They have 82 percent of Democrats saying yes to that, 42 percent of Republicans saying Mm -hmm. yes to that. And bear in mind, you know, that is a theme that Donald Trump brought up a lot in the primaries, even if you would argue hasn't been a priority. It hasn't been a priority and or he is patient zero, for, for, uh, the, the, nonetheless, yeah. there's a big piece of his message. Um, the, the, is, the, is there a problem with outside interference or influence from foreign governments? Huge partisan split on this. Only 22 percent of Republicans say it's a major problem compared to 68 percent of Democrats. Um, well, that also, I mean, that's like a cue of talking about Russia. Russia meddling. Right. It's like asking those questions like, would you be open to a woman running for president? Like during 2016, people were like, I know why you're asking me this question. Yeah. Um, they have Two questions that I think pair nicely together, which is how worried are you about eligible voters being denied the right to vote versus people casting votes who are not eligible to vote? And as you might expect, Democrats much more concerned about eligible voters being denied the right to vote compared to Republicans at 56 versus 19. However, on the people casting votes who are not eligible to vote, Republicans more concerned about that than Democrats at 52-31. So both sides would say, I'm worried about the integrity of our elections, but they have very different views about what is causing our elections to not have integrity. So what's interesting 
is there was less of a party divide on the concern of too few people are voting. You still have a majority of Republicans who say they're concerned about that. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a difference with Democrats, but it is not this yawning gulf that it is for some of these other measures. And then the other one where it had, that had the least of a part of the smallest partisan gap was too many uninformed people voting, which is a thing sometimes people say, you know, everyone should vote. You don't need to be informed or not. You know, everyone should vote. Um, it's, you know, it's one person's informed as someone else's uninformed, et cetera. Anyway, but that's something that both Democrats and Republicans agree that there's a concern of theirs. Well, let's talk for a second about uh, the Kavanaugh nomination, which happened this is two weeks ago, right? But last week, what I am very amused by is we started off this show by talking about baseball and my potentially Uh, politically incorrect views on baseball, which is that it could stand to be a more exciting sport. Now, the All-Star Game was this week. They had microphones on the players. They were interviewing Bryce Harper while he was in the outfield. And I was like, I'm into this. I could watch this for sure. Nonetheless, we were joking about how, like, can Kristen's views on baseball be in my oppo file? And I got in the Uber to leave the studio to go back to my house. And the story broke about, like, Brett Kavanaugh spent, like, $10,000 on Nationals tickets. Did you see this story? Yes, but he spent a lot. He was, like... But the, he got reimbursed by all of his yeah, friends. Yeah, but, right. But it was, I <laughs> think like, wasn't it more than ten? Anyway, yeah, it, it might have been more. I don't. I'm not, I'm not trying to spin on the number. I just anyway, genuinely. It, it was a matter. big number. It was a very big number. But I was just laughing because we had been joking about I the know. whole concept of like somebody's feelings on baseball being in their oppo file, and yet here was this story that was like, like lo and behold, Brett Kavanaugh buying tons of baseball season tickets. What does that say about his judgment? I was like, oh, we like willed it into life with our podcast. Um, But when you take a look at polling from Gallup, comparing his nomination to previous nominations, uh, right now you have 41% who say they would vote in, they would like to see the Senate vote in favor of his nomination. 37% say do not. 22% no opinions. There's still a lot of people who aren't quite sure. These numbers are slightly lower than for past justices. They're a little lower than you had for Neil Gorsuch. They're significantly lower than you had for Merrick Garland. Um, They are lower than for Elena Kagan. I mean, you kind of go back through the list. They're about where Harriet Myers was, which is not like that's not a glowing great thing. They're better than Bork. Um, But again, you still do have 22 percent saying no opinion and also bear in mind that Merrick Garland, you know, 52 to 29, that's a pretty that's – a, that's a majority. But there's a sense that there weren't political consequences for those who did side with the 29 percent or, you know – People did not know that at the time. But yes, I right. – you know, so it, it's – yeah, it definitely would give Democrats a sad to see that Merrick Garland's numbers here are better than almost anybody – you know, they're at the top tier from this list of, you know – all past nominations. John Roberts' numbers were really good, 59, 22. Um, It it may be the case that we're just never going to see – I mean, I don't don't know. But for Brett Kavanaugh, I mean, these are not bad numbers. They're not numbers that I think in any way we're going to like scuttle his nomination. I think we have to wait and see what the confirmation hearings look like to see if anything is said or comes out in that that changes public opinion. But I think the – my view on these numbers is like they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. It's 2018. It's a net slight positive. 22% no opinion. 
They could go up. They could go down. Uh, Kavanaugh's numbers look like they are worse with Democrats than just about than any other opposition parties. So if you scroll down a little bit, so they looked at Gallup broke this out like of the party that's the opposite party of the president. What are the favorables, right? So you look at it by party, which is what you know really matters here. And among Democrats, he's a 14 percent favorable in favor of his confirmation, 67 percent not in favor. There is no other person where the opposition party has such a low vote in favor other than Bork. But Bork had 38 percent. He had 18 percent vote in favor, 38 percent not vote in favor. There's no there's nothing. You know, the next highest not vote in favor is 57 percent. He's at 67 percent. The next one is 57 percent. I mean, I, I, I believe you're probably right that we're like in a political time where, you know, lots of people, all these numbers obviously get start to get worse. Um, but these numbers are definitely worse among Democrats than, than past. Well, and I'm curious why they are slightly worse for Kavanaugh than Gorsuch, considering that um, I can see Democrats having the argument that like the Gorsuch seat, that should have been Merrick Garland's seat, et cetera. But this seat is a seat that came vacant when Trump was president. Like this is not some like Mitch McConnell, you know, cocaine Mitch joint. Like this is just a seat that came available. Is it in part because of who is being replaced? That Neil Gorsuch in replacing vote. Scalia's seat, like he could be a conservative jurist and an originalist and it was like – OK, well, that he's filling the seat of an originalist, whatever. So that's more acceptable than someone who is a conservative jurist filling a Kennedy seat, if if that's part of the factor. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think part, you know, it's probably part of, you know, what you're saying, like it's it's now you're talking about the deciding vote. It's going to change the balance of the court. People don't want a court that's out of balance. This is something that is now going to throw the court out of balance. Um, it could also be, well, you know, now Trump's going to pick a second justice. He's going to pick a second justice. And also the investigation is now into Trump and and Russia is now, you know, you have dozens of indictments and guilty pleas and a campaign manager in jail. Is that now changing the calculation of Trump picking a second justice who may, in fact, have to rule in some way on the investigation? Well, we will see. I'm sure there will be more polling on this because we still have hearings and a whole bunch of circus around this to go. Yes. So I last, count on that. Last but not least, ice cream. We have two different polls about ice cream. Is this like National Ice Cream Month or something? I think it's just hot. I don't know. I haven't looked at my nationaltoday.com for like the latest <laughs> goofy, <laughs> goofy uh, polls. But Rasmussen finds number one. Ice cream flavor, chocolate. Second, butter pecan, which surprised me. I don't even know. How is that even still a thing? Like, I don't even really see that very often out and about. I have memories of eating butter pecan ice cream at my grandma's house when I was growing up. But I don't think that I have consumed butter pecan ice cream in at least 20 years. I mean, it no, could... I have no problem with it. It doesn't taste bad. It's not like mint chocolate chip, which is toothpaste. And invalid as an ice cream flavor. I think it's it's like so cloying and like it just sounds – it's too – I mean my – so my kids love mint chocolate chip. Um, we have two gelato places in Tacoma Park as I'm sure Richard can attest to. And um, Are they organic? Please tell me they're organic. Well, they're gelato. So they're like, you know, there's always like salted <laughs> caramel and something kind of, you know – 
fancy. Um, but my kids don't go for that. And one of them has a nut allergy. And so when one of them has a nut allergy, the other one also mm-hmm. is going to have to just not eat nuts either. So so like mang- if they're mangoes or things with nuts. And so it's like a whole – a little bit of production. But mint chocolate chip is like a fun one that they can both have in their – very pleased about it. Um, you know, cookies and cream, I, I can't speak to the cookies, so it's off the list. But um, so it narrows the choices a little bit. Um, they are, I don't know if they're all organic, but they are like, you know, they're not like stuffed with things. But when we go other places, my kids love the ones that are like rainbow sherbet or bubble gum or birthday cake, like the most ridiculous colored ones, the better. And they are really <laughs> disgusting. They are not on these lists, but they – and nor should they be because they are The Yuga Pole has birthday oh, cake, yeah. cake batter on it. Ugh. <laughs> and they – I mean, I'm like, that does not even look like food anymore. I mean, it is disgusting. <laughs> like, I didn't tell them when that, like, unicorn shake at Starbucks came out because I'm like, no, they are going to oh, like that no. too much. Or they don't even need to know that this is a thing because they just – the more ridiculous, the better. So I don't I don't make this statement as in any way attempting to insult those who have decided no dairy or who are vegan or what have you. I love a good almond milk in my mocha sometimes. Like, I've got, I got no problem with those who want to issue dairy, but – uh, I purchased a pint of like the Halo Top candy bar ice cream a couple weeks ago and I was so excited about it and I put it in the fridge and then like it's like Saturday night and I was watching a movie and I pulled it out and I took a couple bites and I was like, something's not right here. Why does this not taste like anything? And then I looked at the carton and it said dairy free mm. and it was like <laughs> I just – Oh, it was like, that's not ice cream. You can call it something else, but it's not ice cream. Well, then you should not come to my house because I trick people into eating homemade vegan ice cream all the time because it's called nice cream. And like you can freeze a banana. You have to peel it first and then freeze it. And then you just blend it and it turns into ice cream somehow. And ice and strawberries, you do something a little – I think you have to like put a little bit more in there. But you don't need to do the thing with putting a custard with egg and milk and making sure the egg doesn't – you know, curdled and like letting it cool and straining, all that stuff. You don't have to do that. Like you can do that and and often have it be vegan. And if you are a child and you put it in a cone and you say, <laughs> look at me, I'm in, I'm in, you know, it's your lucky day. Ta-da! And like they don't know. They're fine. They're totally fine. Well, I, and, and I, again, I don't, I don't say this to insult anyone who prefers non-dairy options. I just, in that moment, it was an unwelcome yeah. surprise. I hear you. Um, but you should get your – do your kids like mochi at all? I'm really on a mochi kick right yeah, now. Yeah. You know, those mochis – so because some of them are mango and nuts, I don't do the like go grab the mochi thing at Whole Foods where the mochis are like in that big container and you can just sort of oh, grab yeah. them because I feel like that seems like a little bit of a allergen danger yeah. zone. But when they come in the box from Costco and then they have their own separate sections, so we do that and then we just – give them mango ones to the neighbors. We take constantly from them. Occasionally, we give them a mango mochi in response <laughs> for them in return for like the thousands of things we take from them. Okay. Key findings. I know lots of people have advised Trump to talk less, smile more. A line from Hamilton. I looked it up today. I was like, oh my God, that's such a like a thing. And realized that the whole world said that. Okay. But I'm going to add my voice to the pile. Embarrassment abroad, corruption, SCOTUS. This November, midterm voters will take their pick. And maybe this summer, though, ice cream can bring us together. 
You can find us on Twitter at, at the Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at Soltis Anderson or www.thepolsters.com. And you can find us on Facebook. Thanks. Bye.